Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. I, I, I don't even know where to begin today. Welcome. <laughs> it's Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. What's the old thing? Begin at the beginning, I guess. But uh, how, how do you begin? Um, first of all, let me tell you that the markets are tanking, as can be expected. Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve having raised interest rates. Powell is currently testifying before Congress. Right now, he's testifying, uh, essentially saying they're going to force a recession, that it's the only way to stop what's happening, that they don't want to do it, but they must do it. Now, why? Why are they doing this? Because... According to the Federal Reserve, interest rates are going or in, uh, inflation is going up so rapidly, it doesn't matter how much your employer pays you, you're still bringing home less money when you take into account inflation. And the only way to stop inflation is to raise interest rates and yank money out of the economy, and that's going to cause a recession and layoffs. And that should right everything, that there's a market imbalance. We'll, we'll get to that further, but I got to begin with something else. I don't say this lightly. And, and I actually, this is, this is a serious moment here. This, this is not Eric being flippant. To my knowledge, and based on the conversations I have had with a lot of people, in the radio industry. To my knowledge, I am the only conservative talk show host who was a local host in 2016 when Donald Trump ran the first time for president who did not support him, who still has a job. I didn't support him in 2016. And I was talking to a couple of people in the radio industry and to my knowledge and theirs, I'm the only one, and I'm sure there's someone on a very small market station somewhere who is similarly situated, but but in like big ratings markets, can't think of anyone who still has a job in radio who didn't back him other than me. And the reason was because I, I do radio a little differently. You and I can agree to disagree, and I'm happy to take your phone calls, and y'all can yell at me, and, and we can all get along. Y'all know where my heart is. You know why I, I take positions I take even though they disagree with you. And we, by and large, for the most part, can still be friends. I do have to say, I, I, I spent some time the very end of the show yesterday on Christian nationalism and Christians and politics and how you should behave. And I triggered some atheist boomers. My goodness, the hate mail. I assumed the Christian nationalists would come out of the fold and come after me. And they were all like, amen, hallelujah. And the atheists were like, shut up, shut up. Stop talking about this this religion stuff. Nobody listens to you for religion. Actually, a lot of people do. I know what the research says. I say all of this to, to, because I got to go there right now, and, and I want you to say something out of the gate, please. You can call in 877-973-7425. But if I trigger you, remember your problem is with me and not with my call screener should you call in. I just want to say that out of the gate because I got to give you some perspective. The polling has gotten extraordinarily close around the nation. And I mean close. I want to give you some data, uh, current data on polling averages. Uh, for the Senate, Adam Laxalt, the Republican, and the polling average is ahead by a point. 
In Arizona, the Democrat Mark Kelly is ahead by 3.3 points. In Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, the Republican, is ahead by five-tenths of a point. In Pennsylvania, uh, John Fetterman is ahead by four points. In Georgia, Raphael Warnock is ahead by three-tenths of a point. In North Carolina, Ted Budd is ahead by two points. In Ohio, J.D. Vance is up 2.2 points. I say all of these things because keep in mind in all of these states, there's a bias for the GOP. So in Pennsylvania, there's a six to seven point bias for the Democrats. And so if Fetterman's ahead by four, Dr. Oz may be actually ahead. Same with Wisconsin. If Ron Johnson is ahead by five-tenths of a point, there's a six-point polling bias for the Democrats over the last two election cycles. Johnson's probably well ahead. And in Georgia, there's a two-point bias for the Democrats. And if that's the case here, then uh, you probably do have uh, Rafi or you probably do have Herschel Walker winning. And then there's this. In Wisconsin, um, Governor Evers, the Democrat is ahead by two and a half points. In Arizona... Carrie Lake is ahead in the polling average by a point. In Nevada, Joe Lombardo is ahead by 1.4 points. And of course, Brian Kemp is ahead by over six points in Georgia. DeSantis over four points in Florida. I say all of this to say it's exceedingly close in all of these states. And the Republicans... When you take into account polling biases that tend to favor Democrats, they're probably going to do okay. And I, I just find it notable that so many of the national pollsters are continuing to use registered voter polling. They haven't flipped to likely voter polling. When you do, the Republicans get more of a boost. They're waiting a whole lot longer. But I want to give you some data here. If you subscribe to my daily email, you would have gotten this this morning, regardless of who you are. Whether you're a free subscriber or a paid subscriber, the morning piece goes to everybody. And this is something that has to be talked about. Combined, combined, the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee have $80 million cash on hand. That is, the Democratic Committee cash on hand has about $30 million, and the Republican National Committee has about $50 million combined they have $80 million. Donald Trump alone in his super PAC, the Save America PAC, has more money than both political parties combined. He has $99 million in cash sitting in a bank account right now. And like the dragon smog on his pile of gold, he's not spending it. He's not spending money on Blake Masters, who he endorsed in Arizona. He's not spending money on Herschel Walker, who he endorsed in Georgia. He's not spending money on Adam Laxalt, who he endorsed in Nevada. He's not spending it on Mehmet Oz, who he endorsed in Pennsylvania. He's not spending it on J.D. Vance in Ohio. The former president is paying his legal bills and his travel bills. The only money he spent is $150,000 to beat Liz Cheney in the primary. He spent $3.8 million on legal fees, $800,000 on travel and events, and nothing on his endorsed candidates. Nothing. He's got $99 million sitting there. The races are tied nationwide, and he hasn't spent a penny. Now, ironically, Donald Trump does not like Mitch McConnell and would like to be rid of Mitch McConnell, and all this does is make Mitch McConnell stronger. Why? 
because Mitch McConnell is having to spend the money Donald Trump is not spending. So Mitch McConnell has poured millions of dollars into helping Adam Laxalt and uh, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, even Blake Masters, who he's just stopped spending money on. Many of these candidates questioned whether or not they could support Mitch McConnell for Senate Majority Leader next year, and now they're all indebted to him and not to Trump. A bunch of Republican donors poured their money into Donald Trump's Save America PAC because they thought Donald Trump's PAC was going to save America, and all it's doing is saving its money and paying Donald Trump's legal fees. It's not helping get his candidates elected. He spent some money in the primaries, but not in the general election. He had a rally in Ohio for J.D. Vance, and he timed it for the same day all of the Ohio football teams were playing each other, and hardly anybody paid attention to it. Like Stacey Abrams went to Athens, Georgia, the day the University of Georgia played the University of South Carolina in Columbia, South Carolina, and no one showed up for her rally. Same thing happened with Donald Trump in Youngstown, Ohio. That If you actually panned out, there's hardly anybody in the room. Up close, it looked packed. You panned out into the arena. There weren't a ton of people there. Why? Because all of the Ohio college football teams were playing each other, and his rally was timed during the biggest one of those games. There's something else here, too. Right now, the Republicans are ahead in the Senate in Nevada, and the Republicans are ahead in the uh, governor's race in Nevada. The Republicans ahead in the Arizona governor's race. Blake Masters has gotten close. He, uh, he Mark Kelly had a 10-point lead. He's now only got a three-point lead. In Georgia, the race is tied for the Senate with Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. These are the three states Donald Trump says were stolen from him. If the Republican candidates win, doesn't that add more evidence to the fact that the 2020 election wasn't stolen? Is it, it Donald Trump isn't helping these candidates because he'd kind of like them to lose so he can keep nursing the fiction of the stolen election and fundraise off of the grievances? Is that possible? Or... If you believe the election was stolen in 2020, if you fundamentally believe, and I can't convince you otherwise, the election in 2020 was stolen in Arizona, Georgia, and uh, Nevada from Donald Trump, and the Republicans win the governor's races there, most of those Senate races, is it that only Donald Trump is capable of having, having an election stolen from him? I mean, because if the Republicans can win, I mean, you've got the Democrats out there right now telling everyone the Republicans are an existential threat to American democracy. We must do everything to stop them. You have Joe Biden using a presidential address to the nation with Marines standing behind him saying Republicans are a bunch of fascists, ultra MAGA bigots who must be stopped. The entirety of the American media news operations outside of Fox News are out there saying, whoa, now, we got to stop these Republicans. You've got actual Democrats coming out saying, lie, cheat, steal, do everything you can, stop these people. They're a threat to democracy. If Brian Kemp beats Stacey Abrams, if Herschel Walker beats Raphael Warnock, if Carrie Lake beats whatever the hell that Democrat's name is in Arizona, if the Republicans win in Nevada, apparently, the only person Democrats are capable of stealing an election from is Donald Trump. And maybe that's an indication Republicans need to move on. Or some people will have to concede maybe 2020 wasn't stolen. 
I'm sure some of the apologists are working overtime to say, well, all these states revised their election laws and those election laws being revised made it more difficult for the Democrats. Except Donald Trump said that wasn't the case in Georgia and the Democrats didn't revise the laws in Nevada. Some of you are going to say sour grapes here. I understand that. I'll get the emails. Oh, you never liked him to begin with, USOB. I'm toying with you a little bit and getting up your dander to make a larger point. You can be mad at me. I get that. I make people mad sometimes, including my wife. But shouldn't you be mad that Donald Trump has $99 million in his bank account and he's making Mitch McConnell more powerful? Shouldn't you be mad that Donald Trump has $99 million in his Save America PAC that hardworking, blue-collar Americans gave to him in small-dollar donations to actually save America from Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Stacey Abrams. And the only thing he's done is paid his lawyers and his travel costs. There are seven weeks left in the midterms. The Senate Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, have spent over $100 million. The House Republicans, led by Kevin McCarthy, have spent over $100 million. The Republican Governors Association has spent $50, $60 million securing Republicans in states. Donald Trump has $99 million and has not spent a penny once he beat Liz Cheney in a primary. He's endorsed all of these candidates. There's only so much money the Senate Republicans can spend. There's only so much money the Senate or the House Republicans can spend. Donald Trump's got $99 million to spend in this campaign cycle. He hasn't spent it. What's he doing? What's he waiting for? Does he want the Republicans to win? Or would he rather them lose? I personally would like to be rid of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in charge of the House of Representatives and the Senate. I personally would like Republicans in charge to hold Joe Biden accountable and start questioning his, uh, his cabinet nominees and cabinet cabinet secretaries. I personally would like the Republicans in charge of the budget to rein in the woke spending of the Biden administration. I personally would like the Republicans in charge of the governor's mansions of these states so that we never go back to lockdowns and masks. And Donald Trump, what's he waiting for? You may be mad at me for asking the question, but ask that question. Don't forget, you can sign up for the daily email. All you do is text DATA to 33777. You can get a lot of it for free. You get the great stuff, just 7 bucks, 70 for the year. Um, I've gotten a number of friends of mine actually have texted me uh, and said, please, 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 while you're talking about all this stuff, can you go over the undervote and the overvote? Because it keeps coming up with people. And then I look at my email, and sure enough, I have an email from someone asking me about the undervote. Now, what is the undervote and the overvote? Uh, the overvote is when someone votes uh, for more than one person in a race, which is hard to do. Almost Well, it's impossible to do with the uh, digital electronic machines. It's possible on a paper ballot. The undervote is where you just don't vote. And a lot of people say as evidence that the election was stolen that a whole lot of people voted at the top of the ballot and then left. Now, for perspective, let's look at the Kansas primary election. 
In the Kansas primary election, they had an abortion referendum on the ballot, and about 20% of the vote were people who didn't vote for a single thing, not a single candidate, only voted on that issue. That's undervote. They, they skipped everything until the very end. What normally happens is actually most people vote the entire ballot, but about 15% of Democrats and 10% of Republicans don't go down the ballot. They vote for the statewide races that they know. Maybe they vote for Congress and then local stuff. They, they skip out. They don't vote on the referendums. They don't vote on constitutional amendments. They don't vote on nonpartisan judicial races, nothing. You see, as you go down the ballot, people tune out. They phase out. They're like, I don't know any of these people. I'm not voting for any of them. And they leave with the ballot uncompleted. That's the undervote. And that's actually very, very common. That's not a sign of voter fraud. That's not a sign of anything. That's a sign of normal behavior. In fact, in minority communities, it's more prevalent than in uh, white communities. In black communities and Hispanic communities, you are more likely than not going to find a whole lot of people who don't vote towards the end of the ballot unless they're committed partisans. So it's that's not evidence of anything other than normal voting patterns when you see something like that. Uh, when I was running local political races, we would have to go door to door. The candidate would identify people they were hoping would vote for him. And he would have to try to explain to him, please, even if you don't want to vote for dog catcher or you don't want to vote for tax commissioner or clerk of superior court, please find me on the ballot. Here's the sample ballot. This is where I am. Please go vote for me. You got to do some level of voter education when you're further down the ballot because, y'all, ballots get long. Uh, In some states, they're really long because everybody's up together. Now, in a lot of states... You have municipal elections are in odd-numbered years, and then you have uh, your statewide officials are elected in midterms, not presidential years. And then in presidential years, it's the president, maybe a senator, and then your congressman every two years. So congressmen are always midterm and um, in presidential years. State legislative is usually midterm and uh, presidential years, although not always. Some of them serve four years. Some state houses serve four years, not two years. But it really does just depends. But uh, I had after after the twenty twenty election, a lot of people telling me, "Oh, it was look at all the people who only voted at the top of the ballot." Yes, that's perfectly normal. That happens a lot, particularly in polarizing elections. It's very very common behavior. It's always happened. Um, going back to the Carter Reagan era and before, it's always been a pattern in American politics. If it didn't happen, that would be the sign of something unusual. Put it to you that way. When we come back, we got to talk about the Fed and the economy and take your calls. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I want to go to Jim, who's been waiting very patiently. Jim, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have a question. Uh, a caller called in either yesterday or the day before, and they mentioned the Alex Jones case in relation yesterday, to his yeah. comments about Sandy Hook. So... One of the things that I understand from that case is that they're going after him saying that if you say something enough times, it starts to change perception and people believe it. And that that's why they're blaming him for the results of his comments. If he ends up losing on that basis, how would that affect the Democrats who blatantly lie? They've been calling conservatives, Republicans, Trump supporters, uh, the greatest threat to democracy, extremist, terrorists, you know, every other negative word. How, how could that backfire on them if, if 
the verdict comes back against him with that being the ruling. Oh, okay. Um, so this is, in in all honesty and candor, Jim, and, and not trying to be flippant on, on this either, this is where I have to actually put on my lawyer hat. Uh, I used to actually defend newspapers as a lawyer. I was a First Amendment lawyer for newspapers in middle Georgia uh, news station, so the local TV station, the local newspaper. Uh, and the media has to some degree mischaracterized this a little bit. Uh, it's not that at their, they're suing Alex Jones for saying stuff over and over again. Uh, what they're doing is they're suing him because he said things about private citizens not in the public eye and didn't just say it once or twice, but said it so much that these people were themselves victims of terrible situations, harassment, and other things. Uh, the Democrats can get away with saying Republicans are Nazis because they're not talking about you specifically being one. If they turned but, but it on a they... private citizen and, and said this private citizen is, then they're liable for defamation. But to a degree, they have done that now because they're saying that, that voters, uh, basically anyone that supported Donald Trump is an extremist. And now we right. just had the case in North Dakota where a 41-year-old man killed an 18-year-old with his car because he was an extremist. Yep. So the, the, we're starting, now granted that's one case of, of many, but we're starting to see where there's violence towards Republicans and conservatives yep. it's being incited by by seated Democrats and by the media. By the way, uh, Jim, so CBS News ran that story today about that. Uh, they ran a wrote a 450-word article and they never mentioned that the kid was a Republican and the murderer was a Democrat. Never mentioned it. Um, of, of course not because that doesn't course. fit the narrative. We're we're we as conservatives, we're supposed to be the violent ones. Yep. So so they can't they can't put that out that there was actually violence against the conservatives. Right. So I, I'll tell you this: this is the actual legal issue here that's in play. Um, Clarence Thomas and uh, Sam Alito have said they want to change this, but under standard defamation law. Uh, you don't have the right to sue the Democrats because they're labeling a group of people bad. If they label you specifically bad, you have the right to do it. They're playing at the edges of defamation law by doing this. They should, I agree with you, be held accountable. But under the law as it's written right now, uh, Alex Jones could be liable because he specifically targeted specific parents and kids at Sandy Hook. Uh, the Democrats can't be liable because they haven't targeted you or anyone you know by name. They've just made this generic blanket denunciation of a group. And yes, uh, you and I both know, even if the media doesn't want to admit it, that this will lead to violence. We've seen it in North, uh, North Dakota. We saw it with James Hodgkinson in Virginia. But at the same time, individually you haven't been named and whether you or I like it or not, that's the actual legal standard at play here. And it gives sides wiggle rooms at the same concurrent time. And this is very important as well to understand at the same concurrent time in playing with these groups, the Democrats are radicalizing both their side and the Republican side. But they're hurting their side. I was going to get to this later, but Jim's call is a perfect segment here. So there's a, a Democratic 
group out there that decided to do non-traditional, unscientifically backed. I mean, whether you or I like the polling, let me put it this way, whether you or I like the polling or not, the polling is based on a methodology. Polling is wrong, not because the methodology per se is wrong, but because the pollsters in the 21st century can't get enough people to participate in the polls. And so it's dragging down their uh, polling quality. Polling when no one had a cell phone and everyone had a landline and people answered the phone because there was no caller ID and they didn't know who was calling. It was a pretty good polling. Polling now when you don't answer the number if you don't know who it is. If you got a cell phone, you're less likely to get a call. If you're black, Hispanic, or a white Republican, you don't answer the phone. Uh, you don't trust the pollsters. You think they're part of the media, and part of the media, they're flagging you for the FBI and the IRS and the like. All of that comes into play. So you don't talk to the pollsters. So that that's different. The underlying methodology is still good, even if it doesn't work right now. But there's a Democratic group that's come out with a non-traditional psychology-based view of voters. And they went out and they asked voters wild card things like, if there was a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, who would you trust to be in charge? Majority of voters said Republicans. But what they found is that voters don't actually like Republicans. They think Republicans are are law and order tightwads who they want to be in charge if there's a war or a, a zombie apocalypse or put them in charge of your own estate if you die, but they don't think they're kind, warm, caring people. And so what this firm has done is they've decided they're going to bypass traditional campaign ads and instead they're going to run cartoons. That's right. Their advertisements are cartoon advertisements. Uh, let me play you one of these cartoon advertisements. Let's see if I can get this queued up here. Uh, this is a cartoon advertisement, and the Republican, the only color in the ad, it's black and white, looks hand-drawn, clearly done on an iPad or something digital. The only color is the red tie of the Republican, who looks like Mr. Smith, the bad guy from The Matrix, the guy who wore the glasses. So we're done with the interview, and we have the samples we need for evidence. She's sedated now. You can give her something, right? A pill in case she's pregnant. She's only 10. Actually, she's going to have to come back in two weeks for a pregnancy test. It's the new government mandate. And then if she is pregnant, you'll help her, right? Then she'll be assigned a government monitor until she completes her pregnancy. Sir, sir, I need you to calm down. Under Republican rule, states are passing laws to ban all abortions. No exceptions. A rapist can force himself on a child, but it takes Republican rule to force her to have his baby. That's one of the ads they're running. Uh, I think that these ads will provoke a visceral response from Democrats. Not a visceral response from anyone else. And if you want to mitigate the damage of the election, well, that's one of the things you'll do. Here's one of the other ads they're running. Every parent wants a happy, healthy child. But Republican leaders are passing government mandates to arrest and prosecute parents for child abuse simply for supporting a child who is transgender. Imagine being told the state has the right to come into your home and remove your children because Republican leaders don't like the way you're raising them. It's happening now. 
Republican rule. We can still stop it. That's one of the ads. And again, I think this will motivate Democrats. I I really do think it'll motivate Democrats. I just don't think it'll motivate independent voters. But they're convinced it will. Now, one of the interesting bits of research, though, that comes out of this, let, let me let me read you this from the Politico story. If, if you subscribe to the Daily Show Notes email, this is in uh, the stack of stuff today. You can read the whole thing, see the ads for yourself. Just text data to 33777. This is it. The firms tested the MAGA Republican attack line currently preferred by Democrats, including President Joe Biden, and weren't impressed by the results. Democrats... And voters on the left loved and intuitively understood the term. But the researchers ran into some trouble with independents and moderates who defined the term far more narrowly to just a few Republican politicians they considered extreme. That, in turn, caused them to feel as if uh, they had the uh, imp- they were empowered to vote for other Republicans. Finally, the group found that the Republicans felt energized by the MAGA term. Some had fond memories of recent presidential campaigns and felt as if the movement had grown beyond Donald Trump. To them, it felt as if they were unfairly being painted as extreme. In the end, the strategist found the most effective attack line was the simplest. Americans can't trust Republicans with power. So the group is called Wide Angle Research. Um, A gay rights group in Florida, Equality Florida, is using their research for their advertisements on transgenderism and the like. They think it's effective. They think the cartoons are effective. It sounds very echo chambery to me, but it is kind of notable within that echo chamber. These people are pushing back, saying, stop using MAGA Republicans. Now, I can tell you this, and this is one of the most interesting things about the story is this research was already known about MAGA Republicans. This has been out there in a lot of polling already that MAGA Republican makes Democrats feel good about themselves, but most Republicans don't view the Republicans as MAGA Republicans. They view them as Republicans. And uh, by they can rationalize, it becomes very easier to rationalize and say, well, uh, my Republican isn't a MAGA Republican, I'm going to vote for him. It gives independents and Republicans license to vote for Republicans they don't believe are extremists. And that is one reason why I, I think the Democrats are headed into a world of hurt as we get closer and closer to the election and we move to the likely voter polling from the registered voter polling is that likely voters are more likely to vote on the economy than abortion. Likely voters are more likely to blame the Democrats for the economy than the Republicans, and so likely voters are more likely to vote for Republicans. And by labeling them all as MAGA Republicans, as President Biden did two weeks ago, he's kind of neutralized the attack. Now, to go back to the caller's original point, what Alex Jones did was vile. What Alex Jones did is inexcusable. And you and I can think that about what the Democrats are doing, tar and feathering all Republicans as bad as Nazis as what have you. But what they haven't done is they haven't named you and me. And you may not think that's much of a difference, but in the law, it's a very big difference. What Alex Jones did 
is he questioned whether or not these parents actually lost their children in that murderous atrocity. Alex Jones suggested some of these parents and their dead children were crisis actors. Alex Jones cast doubt on the entire tragedy. That tragedy was not 76 million people who voted for Donald Trump. That tragedy was a handful of families who lost children, whose children were murdered by a monster. And Alex Jones didn't just say this in passing. He devoted time to it. He, in video streams, showed images. He cast doubts on particular people and their stories. He questioned that if their children were really dead, were the funerals all for show? And he's going to be made accountable for that. What he did is inexcusable. And you can say that's true of what the Democrats are, but you also should recognize the difference. I think the Democrats have crossed the line in political rhetoric and they're going to inspire more crazy James Hodgkinsons or like this guy in, in North Dakota they are, but Alex Jones inspired crazy people against these parents whose children were murdered. And he's going to be accountable because he involves specific private citizens. Joe Biden hadn't done that yet. It's only a matter of time before the Democrats go in that direction. And then you'll have the ability to take action. But until then, we still have legal standards that have to be met in this country under the First Amendment. And one of those standards is uh, the general extrapolation that, that some group of people is bad is does not bring or raise liability. But specifically naming individuals and casting aspersions on them if they're private citizens does. You can say almost anything you want to say about a politician anywhere and get away with it. But a private citizen who's just involved in politics as a voter or supporter of a candidate you better watch out. Liability rules in the United States for defamation, they have weight. And it gives people a right to sue. And Alex Jones is finding that out. And honestly, sometimes watching bad things happen to bad people like that should give you comfort that, yes, the system still works. What also works is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm to clean the air in your house. It eliminates foul odors. If certain people have come through your house and you got the smell of sulfur they leave behind, well, you fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and it wipes out those odors. It wipes out pet odors, litter box odors, uh, cigarette odors, smoke odors, fry odors, cook odors. You name it, it eliminates odors. Doesn't mask them. It gets rid of them. Also gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the pollen, the dust, the bacteria floating in the air. You just wipe it out. It's filterless. You don't have to get a filter subscription. You can get three of them for less than $200 by going to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com. And you'll see the discount code box on the front page of the website. You put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. It's EdenPureDeals.com. You use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, no space, the number three, E-R-I-C-K, the number three. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to go back to one of the ads from this group that I played for you, this research group, wide-angle research. They're doing cartoon ads, and I want to play for you this one. Every parent wants a happy, healthy child. 
but Republican leaders are passing government mandates to arrest and prosecute parents for child abuse simply for supporting a child who is transgender. Imagine being told the state has the right to come into your home and remove your children because Republican leaders don't like the way you're raising them. It's happening now. Republican rule, we can still stop it. That's one of the ads they're running. Democrats are trying very hard to repackage transgenderism as something mainstream and normal. Uh, I know people who get very defensive about the issue from the left. Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire, however, has done an expose on Vanderbilt University and its full embrace of transgenderism and surgeries for minors from what Walsh says. And he got some videotape of one of the people there saying, essentially, because of the ongoing need for surgeries, uh, it's good business for the hospital to get into this. They're going to make money by doing this. And then along the way, also uncovered video of, of people there threatening to fire anyone or punish anyone who objected. The state of Tennessee is now going to investigate what Vanderbilt University is doing. If you're an alumnus of Vanderbilt University, you should probably be outraged. Kudos to Matt Walsh for documenting this. Of course, the left is furious with him, denouncing it, but this issue does not poll well for Democrats. They're trying to change the way it polls and trying to make it about parental control of children, something the right has always defended, but... Uh, this is not a winning issue, and you got to acknowledge